Hey there, Alexa here, host of Luxa Cult, a podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and also discuss a variety of occult topics. Exploring the intersection of science, magic, art, and philosophy through the lens of chaos, it's occultism for everyone. Luxa Cult features interviews with badass authors, artists, and magicians of all walks and experience levels, as well as audiomantic nonsense, cut up poetry, bibliomancy breaks, and so much more. Don't miss my conversation with Frater Yara about the magic of language or the episode with the Whole Faith Blind Council crew featuring a meditation for the Green Mushroom Project, which is a large scale group working focused on building connection and regaining ground that you can be a part of. You can hear Lexicall on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So tune in and join us for the ride. XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to XV Planets. Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planets. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very happy to be here to dive further into the weird with you. I hope you all enjoyed our series on the Waverly Hills Sanatorium. We'll be getting into our next investigation series on the battleship USS North Carolina in the next couple of weeks. But until then, this guy needs a bit of a break, so we have some fun little side quests to keep you tied over. And that means we get to do another episode or two of Twin Geeks! Now for the uninitiated, Twin Geeks is a little side series that we do here where my good friend Beth Miller and I sit down, have a few drinks, and rant incoherently about our favorite television series of all time, Twin Peaks. It's a nice break from the heavy research, production, music, and sound design that I have to do for the main series and after the paranormal, Twin Peaks might just be my favorite obsession. We're going to get to that in a minute, but first, a few announcements. First up, it is officially spooky season, and the XV Planus Halloween playlist is now up and running on Spotify. You can check it out by clicking on the link in the show notes. This is a mixed bag of music containing anything from folk horror classics, danceable dark waves, headbanging Halloween fun, and a handful of truly frightening pieces of music. It will likely be updated every few days the further I dig in my catalog. Next up, our Discord is up and running, so if you want to talk about ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and the like, come on by and hang out with us. You can request access by sending an email to xvplanus at gmail.com. It is a small but delightful community, and quite a few friends that you've heard on the show lurk around on there as well, so come on out and join us. Lastly, and this is more for you local listeners, I will be playing with the Bulltown Strutters at Shikori Hills Music Festival on Saturday, October 8th. The Bulltown Strutters are Durham, North Carolina's only New Orleans-style parade band, so come on out and dance your butts off with us. The parade with Paperhand Puppet Intervention begins at 2 p.m. and will end with a small stage performance under the dance tent. I'll include a link to the festival site for those of you interested. Alrighty, I think that's it for now. So let's usher in October with a little Twin Geeks. 
Oh, and by the way, we are leaning towards a more PG-13 structure for the investigation episodes, but this bonus content will not be censored, so bear that in mind. Because let's face it, you can't get through a single episode of Twin Peaks without having at least one what-the-fuck moment. Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planets, and welcome to the next installment of Twin Geeks. Yay! Yay! Welcome back, Beth. Thank it's, you. It's been too long, and I honestly need a break from the uh, hooky spooky stuff that I normally do. So this is uh, this is a great pleasure. Thanks for doing this with me. Good, I've missed it. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the last time we were together, we were veering off into multiple tunnels, but tonight we're actually gonna we're gonna steer back on track, and we're gonna start diving into really what inspired us to start having these conversations in the first place. The epic that is The Return, or Season 3, if you will. I'm amazed we made it this long. We, we did three full episodes. We only, I think we only veered once or twice into Season 3, so I'm really proud of us. Yeah, yeah. we, we kind of we had to bite our tongues uh, for quite a while, because this, this is really the reason that we, we did this. Because Season 3 is truly, I mean, it's a masterpiece on multiple levels. I mean, aside from it you know, feeding us diehard Twin Peaks fans, finally giving us something after 25 years of waiting. It ended up being an 18-hour-long David Lynch unhinged montage of insanity, and I loved every second of it. With a great soundtrack behind it, too. Yeah! <laughs> I loved that part of it. I actually, yeah, I actually did get a huge kick about the, uh, like, the uh, the guests that, that popped in on each episode, and then... I mean, obviously, I'm a diehard Nine Inch Nails fan, and the placement of them on which episode they showed was so choice. Yeah, yeah, that that's that, the song stays with you too. But for me, it was Eddie Vedder. Yeah, you uh, you're a huge Vedder fan. I that's am, right. I am, and they didn't. I forget the name that they called him. It wasn't Eddie Vedder. Uh, Ed, Edgar Stevenson or something, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was a surprise. Like the, I remember the first time I watched it, I'm thinking, "Who's that?" And then. You see him, and you hear that. Just uh, there's no other voice on planet Earth that makes me feel like his voice does. It, uh, sorry, fair enough. This is not about Eddie Vedder, but uh, uh, but one more interesting note on um, the music, like especially those uh, those Roadhouse musical performances. The vast majority of the artists that were featured uh, on stage are actually uh, musical cohorts or on David Lynch and uh, David Lynch's uh, production. So like. He does a lot of music, uh, and he also helps a lot of up-and-coming artists by uh, offering them music or guidance or production. So a lot of them he's directly connected to. I did not know that. Yeah. Like and, the two uh, guys who were doing it. was like the 50s-style surf, like real mellow surf music. I don't remember who. The twins? together would just be Oh, yeah. yeah that met, made me melt. That was yeah. like perfect harmonies. Yeah. It really was. Mm-hmm. So they're brothers. Wow. All right. Mm-hmm. You're teaching me all sorts of things. You always teach me things. That's why I love you. Hang out with people a lot smarter than you, team. Uh, feeling is mutual. <laughs> um, I'm going to let you kind of steer this boat. Um, you've put a lot of work into this next installment, and, and uh, I, I think you should kind of take us off, Captain. I'm, I'm, hand, I'm handing the, the oar over to you. <laughs> Are y'all sure about this? Yeah, I'm all very right. sure. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Um, if it was on any other subject, I would be just petrified to, to take the lead. But in this instance, I do feel like uh, like I've got at least some some qualifications. If there was a, a master's or a PhD. Well, you're also uh, fresh off yet another viewing of uh, season three, which I, I wrapped up mine about a month ago. So it's still re- relatively okay. fresh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, as, as he walked into uh, my house to record this tonight, the the last ten minutes of uh, of the final episode were up on the screen. Yeah, so <laughs> I I crash watched. So what I wanted to do with this episode um, is talk about some of just general high strangeness, and then get into uh, some of the new characters that we're meeting for the first time. Um, talk you know, as much as we can fit into it. There are themes that Lynch is just a master at. So we'll talk about some of those themes. Um, 
good versus bad, numerology, anomalies. There's there's just so much to, to chew on here. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll see how far we get. But we've got tulpas. We've got the duality, light versus dark. So again, there's there's a ton. It's, it's going to be like Thanksgiving dinner here. But uh, We've got tulpas. We've got occultism. We have psychology. We've got it all, folks. It's <laughs> like a carny barker. Yeah. That, I did, sorry, I didn't mean to sound like that, but that's exactly what it is. Um, because it is the world of Lynch. So <laughs> chronologically, we we step into uh, this this new world and this new time. We've got a little bit of, of, of um, dialogue with the firemen, but we're put pretty early on into this thing that in general is called the experiment. And it's the thing in the box. It's the young kid in the room being paid to watch and record everything. And right, and swap out the SD cards yes. and, and all of that. Step up on his little ladder. And the scenes are very drawn out. And you're thinking, what in the hell is going on here? Um, and you and I had talked about this, but what is the purpose of that experiment? We'll start with that. What are your thoughts on the purpose of the experiment? As far as the purpose, it it completely eludes me because as we said, we're when you start talking about like the different entities that populate the world of Twin Peaks, and we're not talking about your, your standard flesh and blood characters, because as you know, season three goes deeper, we go further into the world of the inhabitants of the Black Lodge and other planes of existence, things like that. And as you and I were talking about this uh, outside before we even started recording, that I, I think it's impossible to understand their intent because they exist on a completely different level. Now, regarding the experiment, you and I also discussed or, or questioned, like, who is actually funding the experiment? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Mr. C, or a version of Coop, is, is one of our theories of the people who might actually be behind all of this. So when you put that into the equation, I would say... I have no fucking idea. <laughs> like, Honest <laughs> answer... I just don't know, man, because like when you start looking into this, like who birthed who? Did we make Judy? Mm. Did Judy birth Bob? Why is Bob trying to go after Judy now? It gets. <sighs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really difficult question to answer. The only thing that I can think of is that, yes, Mr. C is funding it. We get little drips and drabs of him somehow coming into a lot of money. Right, the the one known picture of Mr. C is him walking in front of his palace in another country. Right, remember? Yeah. Um, looking looking awfully dapper with his slicked back hair uh, and his dirty. Oh, he's just nasty. Like it's just it's slimy. It's Every, so, and everything they did such a great about job it. Of yeah, it like even the uh, lenses and even the terrible tan that yeah, they yeah, put yeah. on him. Yeah, like yeah. everything about him just looks like total sleaze. And you know he stanks. Like. <laughs> Smell oh God! It. Yes, no. You you can say it's it smells like uh, stale parliaments and and <laughs> and you know like uh, the 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 styling grease that oh God! Made. He just yeah he he smells from the TV, um, but purpose wise, the creature that comes out finally and and murders those two adorable children in in the act of coitus uh looks just like the creature in the birth scene from judy right so to me it's mr c actively trying to capture and first conjure and trap it capture it um i don't think he really realizes that okay once you do that there's no time and space like that thing would be able to escape that box and go do whatever the hell that thing wants to do which does well yeah which we witnessed on and and not just him but whenever coop himself ended up falling through like the multi-dimensional level and he ended up in the box it was a very similar experience yeah but, but as far as like its purpose like that that has me wondering is is Bob or Mr. C trying to uh, entrap its own creator or is this a parental, like, is this you defying your parents? Mm. I mean, you know, Bob is a spoiled little shit, so. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. That could be it. Um, and explaining why Mr. C, uh, who, you know, he and Bob are sharing that bod, um, would would want to do that. All right, so that's one to put out to the community, too, if anybody's got some thoughts. would love to know it, because this is not one that we have an answer to, clearly. Was there any hint that um, uh, Major Briggs was involved in that experiment? Never mentioned, no. 
that it would be part of okay. Project Bluebeam. I had that in as a thought. Um, could it be? But there's an allusion to a millionaire funding it. That's what the kid says. Um, the kid who's guarding it. Sure, the government has endless funds apparently um it's it's got to be coop then because i mean at this point whenever he whenever bob took over mr c and he went rogue he went into a life of crime so yeah he is loaded probably beyond our wildest dreams um so yeah i would take it's got to be him that's funding it has to be yeah otherwise it would be in a government facility it would right if it was unless it was a splint off from um yeah, and not associated with uh, the FBI anymore. But technically speaking, Coop was still affiliated with the FBI. So he could have sure. been using his... Oh, man. Uh-huh. There's so much backstory. As much as I love that third season, we have 25 years of jack shit to work with to figure out where these characters yeah. have gotten to... Like, how did they get to where they are right now? There's so much more meat on these bones. We oh. need to just be frozen in a... Like, like a Star Wars style. Oh yeah, it's stuck in carbonite, man. It's yeah, just... <laughs> carbonite. That's it. Yeah, until we find the studio and the, everything. Yeah, we need we need so much more. Um, yeah, I would love to hear what the community has to say about that. Uh, and then we've got some um, some newbies to the scene. We've got Mister Bill Hastings, the principal, Matt uh, Matthew Lillard. Lillard. That's right. Which what was the movie he was in when we were you know SLC like, Punk and. Uh, oh, he was also in Scream. Yes, that's it. He was best known for yes. that. My mom and dad are going to kill me. He's such a good crier. I think that's probably <laughs> he got cast. Did you ever see SLC Punk? No. Uh-uh. Oh, my God. I've got to get you a copy really? of that. It okay. is one of the It is one of the greatest uh, like independent films of the late 90s and a really beautiful love note to uh, the punk scene. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. It is one of the funniest things that I've ever seen, but it's also got more heart than you can possibly imagine. It's Ooh. I like I'm getting warm fuzzies just thinking about it. Wow. All right, so that was, he was in that, I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 Okay. With a giant 2-foot uh, tall blue mohawk. I remember seeing like the DVD cover. <laughs> I remember seeing that and just the thinking, yeah, it's not my scene, so I I, I it's, it is, right. it's it's brilliant. All right, I'll get into that. So, uh, Mr. Matthew as the blubbering Mm, I mean, that cry scene in the jail cell, Mr. Bill Hastings. And that scene with his wife, too, is so intense. She's like, I fucking know. Yeah. And I was cheating on you, too. It was such a dirty, terrible... Lynch is brilliant at that, by the way. The the wife was also brilliantly directed to overact the hell out of that scene. And, um, you know, just her snarkiness and like, you'll get what you deserve, Bill. Yep. Just like, oh, oh, God, you remind me of so many of the mothers in Natchez, Mississippi. In that I thought you were going to say exes. Self-righteous <laughs> southern town. Good God. Oh. Wow. Yeah, with her little flipped up collar. Yeah, very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Very conservative looking. Definitely now, country club. No, before we, we veer too far off of them, uh, one character related to him that we never really get uh, a chance to know much about is... Bill's partner, if you will, Ruth. this Ruth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she she was a librarian, right? Mm-hmm. And they were working on uh, trying to essentially contact the Black Lodge. Yeah, that was that was their goal. But least. I don't think they knew it was the Black. They were just like wide eyed children, where they're getting messages and that they keep going down that rabbit hole. All right, well, let's keep experimenting. And of course, we find out it's this giant vortex. Mm-hmm. That they had they had uh, essentially opened up, um, but they they were just dabbling in it, and I don't think either or he didn't seem like he knew what he was doing, right? Yeah. Right, that there was any malice to it, or that we were trying to do things or open up a portal. No, they they got the information about where some of these portals were going to open up, yeah. and they decided to engage. Yeah. Like there was, it was purely out of curiosity. Um, but yeah, they had no idea what was lurking on the other side. Mm-mm. No, yeah. That scene where they go, um, where it's it's Gordon and, and the team, and they go to that house where Ruth's body ends up being written or laying on the side with the coordinates written on them. Right. Um, yeah. and, and Gordon has that interaction with the void, or I don't even know what you'd call it. Yeah, a vortex void. It's yeah. wormhole. Uh, almost seems pretty appropriate mm. given the fact that there is. Uh, 
even though it's not really brought out in the forefront, there's a very, very heavy sci-fi aspect to Twin Peaks in general. And, and that also goes into Blue Book, which we'll, we'll talk about mm-hmm. that here in a few. But. And that's why we love it. Uh, so yeah, you've got these, these newbies. <laughs> Mr. Bill Hastings and Ruth that are that are just dabbling in this. And I had a question in here about the... Oh, I mean, everybody loved Mr. Uh, uh, Agent Briggs. Not Agent Briggs, sorry, Major Briggs. Major so, Briggs, yeah. Um, to see him ripped apart in two distinct pieces, Ruth getting the bod, mm. and then the head just going into the ether and living with the firemen. Um, so first of all, I'm real pissed that they split him up. Glad mm. we still get to see him. Um, but what do you think is the purpose of the separation of the body from the head for 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 Briggs? So we we briefly talked about this earlier before we started recording, and and I'm going to have to do a little bit more research on it because it only recently occurred to me that there, uh, given the fact of some of the research that I've been doing for the main show over the last year, I think there might be like some real references to uh, occult rituals there. Ah. Um. And, you know, the fact that the head did live on, it, it lived on to pass into this other random in-between dimension where it interacted with Cooper for a split second to deliver the, you know, infamous line, Blue Rose, which was decidedly creepy the way they did that, by the way. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I do think that this is tied to either... Um, Bill and Ruth fiddling with occult practices that they didn't fully understand, or potentially maybe Mr. C used Agent Briggs in his own occult rituals in order to further his his own gain. Because we knew that he was still, like Mr. C, once he was you know possessed by Bob, he was still in interaction with Major Briggs for a, quite a while mm-hmm. after the main series ends. Mm-hmm. And it seems, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that Mr. C tricked Briggs into coming to a specific location in order for Mr. C to kill him. So it really does make me think that there's like an occult practice there. Mm. Um, you know, again, we do, we can't even pretend to understand like what the intentions of Bob or any of the Black Lodge inhabitants are. But this is something I'm going to d- dig into because I think there's something to it. Well, and it's more violent that if you look at the, and of course I had to look away. You know, it's fake, but it's very realistic looking. Like it was hacked off. Yeah. Hacked off. So there was malice there. There was anger. It was like a dull knife that they must have carved that head off with if it was Mr. C. Um, And we've seen him shoot people and we've seen him fight, but not knife, you know, close hand contact like that. And I'm sure Briggs put up a fight. He's, you know, military. So, oh, yeah, yeah. There had to have been, oh, gosh, and again, it's just one of those things that we'll probably never get the answer to because is that a thread that we want to pull on? You know, if you're, if you're Lynch. Yeah. Well, no, of course not because he's just going to give us enough to drive us further insane and not give us any answers, which we love you, David, but also screw you. <laughs> this is one of the only... It is the only series show movie that has ever made me think like this. That's part of why I think I I, I love it so much. And, and and it's enough that we keep coming back to it. Like even after thirty years since its uh, original airing, like I still go back and watch the entirety of the whole thing and all supplemental material at least once every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it, like, if there's ever a moment where I'm like, I'm bored and I don't know what to watch. I could use a little Dale Cooper in my life. And then, boom, I just start the whole thing back over. That's usually followed with me restarting the X-Files in between. I started that. (laughs) So about three weeks ago, I was in the mood. And I said, you know what? I've never from... I didn't watch all of them. I watched them in bits and pieces as they were coming out. So I went back to like the pilot. Mm. And I'm now wa- oop, watching the first, uh, the first, uh, what do you call it? Um, first season. First season, yeah. Right on. Little That's, babies. The little babies are so young. That is hilarious because I just started it myself again, like not even a few days ago. Stop it. Yeah, wow. seriously. Yeah, that's great. Synchronicity, yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of synchronicities, let's, let us remind our audience that without Twin Peaks, 
there would be no X-Files. That show would not have happened without Twin Peaks breaking ground on strangeness in television. And as far as I'm concerned, we probably wouldn't have had Fox Mulder if we didn't have Denise first. (laughs) And that's what I kept... I'm like, he can do both so well. He's such an attractive human. (laughs) Like, he can be an attractive man or an attractive woman. Yeah. Much more attractive as a man, though. Like, I think in the second episode, he's got his shirt off. I was okay, we're going there. Have you watched... I don't know if you've seen those yet, but wow, look at this. Every nerd's heart throb. He was, man. Just a great sense of humor, too, so... Uh, Do you think yeah. I'm spooky, Scully? <laughs> spooky, Scully. Um, all right. So then there's the scene going back to uh, to Bill's wife, <laughs> who we all love and adore. Mm. There is this scene where it confused me because Mr. C comes in. It's when she gets home from yelling at uh, at uh, her husband in the jail. She gets home. She's supposed to be meeting her lover, the lawyer, and Mr. C is in the house, and she acknowledges that she knows him what are you doing here it wasn't you know if a robber's in your house you're not gonna say it like yeah that. it was a very obvious like what are you doing here yeah. like i know you yes and then he you know he, she shoots her so i'm trying to figure out what is the connection how would they have met unless mr c was funding something that she was involved in you know, like maybe Mr. C found out that Ruth and and Bill Hastings were doing something, and then comes in through the wife to say, "Hey, you got to keep an eye on this." That's what I, yeah. Because she said she said she knew this affair was going on in the jail, yeah. right? So maybe she knew because Mr. C said, "Hey, these two are screwing with stuff they shouldn't be screwing with." You want to get even at him? Yeah. And she's definitely the, the petty That'd type be, okay. who would jump on that. So, and that, that's something to remember is that when it comes to uh, a lot of the people that Mr. C interacts with. Um, and uses is that's that's his game like yeah. he uses people and he knows how to get inside their heads and manipulate them mm. so that i say that's definitely what's happening with that well and covering the tracks right because if these two yahoos have figured out how to open my portal right <laughs> yeah yeah i don't want others and we got to nip this in the bud uh all right thank you that that helped clear that up for me um and then we've got oh i had a question about Sarah and Leland, going back to the very beginning and the origins of this, why were they chosen? Right? So why did Judy, Bob, that whole gang, how, why were they chosen? How did they come together? We don't really get a backstory on those two. Was, was it actually less of uh, choosing and was it just a matter of fate? Because look at how the cryptid ended up crawling into young Sarah's mouth. Mm-hmm. It could have been anyone walking by that night. It could have been anyone else sleeping in that room. So I honestly think that that was, um, it was not about choosing a specific person. It was whatever this thing was, was trying to find its path to survival. Okay. Well, and then Bob being in young Leland. Right, so he, Bob was the next door neighbor at the lake, and kept flicking yeah. cigarettes at him. So he gets inhabited by Bob, I think, as a, a, a teenager or small boy. So they each had a Klingon when they met. Not Star Trek Klingon, mm-hmm. by the way. A Kling-on. Mm-hmm. No, okay, so now, now that, because I forgot about that, uh, about Leland's interactions with, with Bob when he was younger. Wow. So something, they had to get together, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But was Bob and Judy controlling the, Yeah, well, we won't know because we don't have their backstory, but there was definitely somebody, negative entities controlling that meetup, marriage, you know, birth of Laura, uh, that whole thing. So yeah. um, just wanted to noodle on that for a minute. Uh, you know, why Bob and Judy chose each of them. You know what I find absolutely amusing about this is that I, I came out here to record this with you. I was like, yeah, I need a break. I need to, to give my brain a, a rest and, and, and you know okay. be able to check out for a while. You know what's going to end up happening tonight? I'm going to be up until 4 a.m. thinking about Leland and Bob. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <sighs> oh, 
fuck. There is no break. Yeah. There is no break. You need to just lock yourself away in your house. This, but I needed this... to get this out. You see, I have like 500 pages of notes. I, I know. To get this. I needed to talk about this. I needed therapy. Twin Peaks therapy. It is. Hey, we got to we got to get it out of our system, or we will go mad. I called a therapist. So what? What do you need help with, Beth? Well, uh, so I was watching answer. episode two of the second season. You're my therapist. You're my. Th- you sent us to therapy. That's really depressing. Um. Uh. All right. So let's let's get back into um in, into the the show. We were with Sarah and Leland. So let's get to present day. Or is it? Is it past? Or is, is it, it future? future? Mm. So we've got uh, another character here, Mr. Todd. And my question to you about him was, uh, so obviously he's on the payroll of Mr. C, which there seem to be a lot of people on the payroll of Mr. C. Uh-huh. Yeah. Again, pointing to the fact that this dude must be loaded. Mm-hmm. So his purpose, uh, we get a couple scenes with him. He's I've, He's been in a couple of other things, too, as sort of a smarmy, little, nerdy, annoying person. He's another Not one likeable. of uh, uh, Lynch's go-to for supporting bits. Uh, I think the last thing that I saw him in was uh, Mulholland Drive, and in that he was playing the uh, friend who had kind of a psychic feeling that there was something out back oh. of the diner. Isn't that him? I have to go back and look. I watched that recently, but I don't remember it being him. All right, note note to self. Let's go back and look that up. Well, actually, I want to I want to look and make sure I'm thinking of the right guy here. Okay. Um, so other than, you know, I see him as just another one of Mr. C's grunts. Like Mr. C has all of these people that he, is it him? You yeah, look it up? that's, okay. that's who I was thinking okay. of. Okay. Um, uh, so Mr. C has this payroll of people that are his grunts. They're his muscle. They're the people that he uses and, and he happens to be the one in Vegas. So, you know, we're, we're introduced to Dougie and the insurance agency and Dougie's coworkers and, you had a theory on what Dougie had stumbled over when he was still Dougie or what he was actively involved with in terms of insurance fraud. We never get the full explanation of that, but through the course of um, Cooper half-assed inhabiting um, Dougie's uh, body, we learn that um, Dougie was obviously up to no good. Because even um, his uh, his sleazy co-worker played by... Um, uh, Tom Sizemore. Oh my gosh! He he says a couple of lines to Dougie that kind of hints at like you know we were in on some shady shit together. So yeah. if you go cold on me, I can go cold on you. There was yeah. a lot of hinting towards that, and we never get the full explanation of it. But see, that's what's interesting. All right, so so Duncan Todd definitely on Mr. C's payroll. Duncan Todd was actually pulling the strings on Tom Sizemore's character, mm-hmm. which was uh, Dougie's co-worker. I think originally all of these people were put into place to keep an eye uh-huh. on Dougie, just uh-huh. like constantly keep an eye on him. Yeah, it wasn't until Cooper tried to get out that Mr. C ended up telling Duncan Todd to tell mm. the co-worker that Dougie's got to go. Yeah. Ah, all right. So not only is Mr. C covering his tracks and having people constantly watch out for him, but knowing that the real Cooper tried to break back through the barrier and come back home, he knows that his little backup, Tulpa, Dougie, yeah. could easily be inhabited by him. So it's got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. No, it doesn't. None of this makes any fucking sense. I like your theory. How about that? I like your theory. I I, I can roll with that. I can roll with that. Yeah, there is none of this that makes sense, but that's why we love it. Yes, it's true. It's so very true. That's why it's an addiction and I need therapy. Uh, all right, so let's talk about some themes. There's there's so many, uh, but one of my favorites and probably everybody else's is his sense of humor. Um, you know, he completely disarms us with goofy, wacky, adorable things, and then you get real comfortable. <laughs> and they, and they he yanks totally, the rug right out from under you. He yeah, really yeah. No, he's with your head. He's yeah. extremely gifted at that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that was uh, some of the immediate um, charm to the mm-hmm. whole series was its ability to like. It's nothing but cheese, nothing but ham, nothing but cheese, nothing but ham. Now we are going to screw with your head. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and it's going to ruin your week. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, he's got a real, real gift at that. But there were some just genius moments like Jerry with his new weed endeavor. Him and Ben are sitting, Ben Horn are, are sitting in, in Ben's office and he, uh, he comes in and he's describing this delicious little muffin and the strain of weed that it is. And, uh, you know, Ben's giving him grief over it. And he says, man, what do you think is funding all of this? Like this is now that it's legal here, dude, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm paying for your retirement essentially. And he, and he puts a little dab of butter on it and he says, and he leans back and he says, wheels up and takes the first and you hear the crunch of it. It's just, it's the cutest scene ever. I, I watched it like three times this last time just because it, it tickled me. I yeah. loved how much both of those characters have uh, changed Ben and Jerry, which by the way, I used to think that Ben and Jerry's ice cream was named because of Ben and Jerry from Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, but I guess it has something to do with the Grateful Dead. Mm. I don't know. I don't like the Grateful Dead. No. Oh. So shocked by Me? Oh. So no, but uh, those those two characters, um, they actually were, like, like, they were some of the, those moments of brevity throughout the course of the third mm-hmm. season. Jerry turning into this granola-eaten, tie-dye-wearing pothead is just like, uh, you know, in juxtaposition with the character that we know him of from 30 years ago is hilarious. Yeah. And then to see Ben's transition from the the womanizing, um, you know, pretty terrible person that he was for most of the the first two seasons into... um, a, a champion for women or like women's rights and, and respecting people. And it's just like, huh? <laughs> huh. you almost think you're in another one of his dimensions. Like, are these tulpas? Uh, right. Yeah. Or are these two men that have like Jerry was the, he was the womanizing. Like he would bring in the, who was the group of people? The, the, oh, the Swedes. The Swedes. Yes. yes. With the Vikings, and he yep. fell in love with the Viking girl who was, you know, ten foot tall, oh, and yeah. Jerry's about five foot two. <laughs> um, that whole thing just cracked me up. With the big sandwich from France, remember when he comes in with the cheese, and they're having that long conversation at at, uh, at his desk. Do you remember this? I, I like he, he like I do this because that, on an airplane that this- whole scene when he starts talking about this is a French baguette. Yes. With fresh made butter and a specific kind of cheese, and the whole time he's talking about, it, I'm like, I'm so hungry. <laughs> I want a baguette with cheese, and I just want like I want to hire Jerry to come over here and describe it to me before I'm eating. Like, I know, oh. right? Well, and that's why that's what, and that I think that actually that, that just hit me. It ties in his appreciation for things like that. That's why he had the muffin scene. Oh yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so he's definitely playing off of the the former. Yeah. Uh, character that we know and love, but yeah. uh, now he's just more into uh, herbs than booze, I guess. Yeah, and and super strong herbs. I am not your foot. When he's in the woods and he has the meltdown, <laughs> and he's looking down at it, and the little foot's talking to him like, "Dude, I'm not your foot." The no. poor guy. And then he thought he killed Richard. I killed oh, him God. with my binoculars. He's got the binoculars. Backwards. I think I killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I was very grateful for that levity because there is, there's obviously a ton of heavy. So you get the music levity, you get some Jerry levity, you get Norma and um, and Ed, and Big Ed, Ed finally kiss at the end. Where oh man, oh I, I get goosebumps when I when I see it. It's just it's precious. And uh, speaking of, of one of my favorite moments of, of humor throughout the course of the return, let us not forget. Wow, Dr. Jacoby's really gone off his rocker, dude. Shovel your way out, out of, of the shit! shit. <laughs> and his little rants to a Nadine sitting at her desk with her smoothie just clapping along. Right, like, yeah. He's so yeah. into it. Has Fucking this little kills super me. Fan. But yeah, I think that actually, was that the, that may have been the opening scene when the delivery truck comes in with the shovels yep. and he's got them all set up and he's painstakingly spray painted them and you're thinking what in the actual hell am i watching i like i i knew it th- actually in that moment as i was watching i'm like this is going to be lynch dialed up to 11 because this scene has now gone on for eight minutes it was so long nobody said anything <laughs> he's just painting his shovels and i know this is going somewhere with his little foot pedal right he yeah. had this whole contraption set up I'm like i love this man oh my god because yeah, last week i think he went to did he go actually go to hawaii I'm trying to think of how his story ended at the end of of season 2 um what did we do with jacoby 
the uh n- the last thing that we see of Jacoby, no, he was already in town. Uh, he was back from Hawaii. He shows up. He shows up at the diner with Sarah Palmer, and they go over to Major Briggs mm-hmm. and says, "I Sarah has something to tell you," and it's Wyndham Earl channeling through Sarah. So that's the last mm-hmm. we see of Jacoby. Okay, so he was back in Twin Peaks. I'm in the Black Lodge <laughs> with Uber. We're actually, okay, waiting. Going back to Sarah. So there's multis. There's not just one entity that is that is inhabiting this poor woman. Yeah. So I mean, she's so ob- she's just like an open pathway. We got the giant nasty ass crickety thing. <laughs> what did you call it? The uh, the cryptid. <laughs> it, like I don't know what it was a frog roach or a. a, a but it must have been a like, cockade. Like, I don't know what it, a it's. Cockade. All right. Yeah. We're just we're making up words now, team. Um, but yeah, I mean that <laughs> thing was a good like two three inches. Yeah, it was. But so it was she's gross. inhabited. She's just like a, a vessel. Oh man, and she's not a real person, guys. But I still feel. And you know, like we we keep so, talking about trauma being uh, yeah. uh, triggers for a lot of the people in Twin Peaks. Whenever her greatest trauma, losing Laura, mm-hmm. happens, like she just spirals out in yeah. every direction, and. Yeah, all sorts of weird stuff starts happening to her. She starts having visions of the horse. She starts mm-hmm. seeing visions of Bob. Um, moments where she's glimpsing the future. Uh, and then, yeah, right at the end of the the second, the original second season, um, Wyndham Earl crawls into her head. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. Poor Sarah. Uh, all right, so we've got Jerry and then Lucy and Andy. <laughs> and even from... Okay, all throughout the scene where they're the chair scene, the cell phone thing, that too. Oh God, <laughs> I it's... don't understand. <laughs> oh. If you folks, if you don't know what we're talking about, you need to go watch it. I I can't. That that might be the funniest, one of the funniest moments of the entire series is um, poor Lucy trying to wrap her head around. Cell phones. Mm-hmm. Punky, are you okay? Oh, God. <laughs> She's on the floor. But have a scene. I'm talking about where, where they're looking at the chair. She and Andy's computers are, are back to back. Oh, and they have their and little And Andy's spat. got the red one, <laughs> and she has the white one. And, and, well, okay, if you want the white one, then we'll get that one. Then he says, yeah, well, if you want the red one, and they're, they're yeah, obviously going to buy the same color. <laughs> they want to please each other. They're just adorable. Was um, it, no, so, Lucy like stands up furiously and walks over to Andy. And is like, Andy, I really like yes, the blue one. Yes. And then she furiously turns around, takes three steps, and plops down at her desk. And then Andy firmly stands up, takes two steps over. Punky, <laughs> I really like the red one. And proceeds to turn around and go back to his desk. Like... That's how you're supposed to have a fight in marriage, yeah. people, you know. They're so, <laughs> so cute. And who wouldn't want a child like Wally? Oh, God, I wouldn't, but like... Speaking uh, of humor! Yes, yeah, yeah. So, hands down, one of the greatest cameos in the entirety of The Return. Yeah, true, true. Wally. Well, because yeah. I don't know that there is anybody else who could have played that outside of Marlon Brando when he was, you know, 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that is uh, Michael Sarah that we're talking about, folks. And um, I, I've i always been a fan of Sarah. I love kind of his deadpan humor. But this was... This was... Uh, this was deadpan on laughing gas? Like, because the way he's... He spoke. He was so weird. I don't know how he did that. Whole, how many takes you think? I have no idea. But like now that I'm thinking about it, you comparing him to like a young Marlon Brand, it actually works because the whole speech impediment thing is yeah. hilarious and it's yeah. so subtle. But it was also incredibly. Just that whole scene was awkward. It was so it was weird. So well, Sheriff awkward. Truman standing there like, um, right. is this for fucking real right now? I was like, is this really happening? Who does this child think? May the road rise up to meet you. <laughs> You're trying to think of something to say to make this kid shut up and walk yep. away. Thank you, Wally. Like, there was a moment of silence and you could tell, am I supposed to leave now? It was weird. Well, and Lynch is so brilliant at that. He'll put you 
in these, or as the audience in these positions where you're like, this is going on too long. It's so uncomfortable. Make the noise stop. Make the scene stop. Make the right. two more minutes. So talking about some of the greatest comedic performances in the entirety of season three, Truman. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, come on. Comedic? Oh, think about it. Like, Give me some. His total deadpan responses when his wife comes in screaming like oh that's right i can't turn the water off frank <laughs> i forgot about that it's so good and he's okay just, very calmly <laughs> i forgot about his lunatic dad can't get the car running <laughs> well honey i already took the car in this morning Boys just called, said it'll be ready this afternoon. Well, you just have an answer for everything, <laughs> I want to be zen. Like, whatever he does with it, and maybe that's uh, Lynch's homage to Transcendental Meditation. Like, here's what your life could be it's, like if you participated in this. When you look at interviews with Lynch, yeah. I mean, it. it that might actually be a very good point. Yeah. And I, I really, like, I really missed... Um, you know, uh, Harry Truman, like, I, I wish it, he would have come back for it, but I respect his decision to, yeah. you know, retire from acting. So more power to you. I do love the way that they addressed it. And you could not have asked for a better actor to, to play that role. Like he was, he was just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in his call, the little so he's sitting at the desk and he says, "Oh, I got to call the doctor." And the little the Elkhorn, where he's like, "Oh God!" The little computer comes up. Doc, do you know how to do Skype? I sure do. If I am ever lucky enough to be able to afford my own cabin in the woods, dude, that is exactly yeah. how my computer is going to be set up. Oh, no, I just want to so lift cute. up a deer horn and have it pop out of the desk. It was so appropriate for the environment. Like, cause you know, you don't want technology invading everything. But it was also so was like, completely out of the blue. Yeah. Like it was the last thing you were expecting. And like, that's what I loved about it. What? It was just another ador- like just all these little details and touches. Oh yeah. It could have been overlooked, but you could tell, you know, look, if you've been waiting for something as a creator for 25 oh, years, you have thought of everything. The lipstick color, the purse, the nails, like Diane's nails, all of those things, you know he's been obsessing about that shit for 25 years. So there's there's a documentary on the uh on uh, Mulholland Drive that came out a few years ago and in it one of the the production team I want to say it was either the cinematographer or or like you know not one of the major players but somebody on his main production team. And he was talking about how filming for this one scene in the movie stopped for an entire day because David Lynch had to build the right lamp mm. to be placed in the room that the scene was being shot in. And because so he spent him and his team went around to like thrift stores. They went all over town looking for the right thing. And finally it was like, let's just go to the hardware store. I'm going to build, I'm going to build a lamp and we'll, we'll get back to this tomorrow. So, what that tells me is every single thing in every single scene that David Lynch has ever done, like he really is, it's a, he's more like a painter. He's thinking like a painter. It's exactly where he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see a little bit of that. So I, um, my husband got me the, the box set for whatever, whenever it first came out, it was either a Christmas or a Thanksgiving present. And in that you get all these extras and a lot of it is interviews with the cast and, and, um, a little bit with Lynch. And there's a scene, not a scene, but they're recording him obsessing about the hole in the woods with the oil on it, uh-huh. where they're making it out of paper mache. He's like, this isn't right. This isn't right. And you can tell. I mean, they cut it down to probably three minutes of him obsessing about the hole, the oil hole in the woods. Mm-hmm. You know that was like a half a day. And the oh, yeah. like, man, you know I got to take a break now? Like, yeah, hello, it's... you're paying us for this? Union mandated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that may be, so what we were talking about earlier, not to be a downer, but we don't know that there's going to be anything else after this. That's what that's yeah. what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So if that's the case and, and, it, and what he was doing, his been dropped by the existing studio who we're not going to mention because we don't know for sure if that is what happened it maybe it is because word has gotten out that okay if this man says it's going to be done in 10 months add 10 months to that just because and the budget if the budget was 10 million yeah add x to that because he's he's got a reputation yeah no it's 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 fair i mean um you look at the return prime example is with that whenever they signed up for it like the the studio was pressuring him to condense everything down into nine episodes. And he was like, 
<laughs> uh, no, no. And they said, well, we're not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to do more than nine episodes. And his response was cool. Well, you, you will be doing it without me. And then from that moment, the cast, the crew, everybody who's ever worked with them, they were like, there is no Twin Peaks without David Lynch. If he's not coming back, none of us are doing this. And he got what he wanted, which was a whole other nine episodes. And we, that man fought for us to have 18 hours of viewing pleasure, and I'm never going to forget that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I, we go off on tangents. Well, hell yes. It's Twin Peaks. There's no other way to manage it. Uh, so humor... Uh, we get, you know, the obsession with coffee. We get the cherry pie. I mean, there, there's so many uh, little little instances of it. My but, log does not judge. Yeah. Well, and I don't see Margaret. I don't ever think Margaret was funny. I think, and especially in this, when we revisit, oh, yeah. every time you see or hear her, you're thinking, this is the last time she's calling Hawk. Yeah. It really was. Super, super sad. But the good thing is she gets to be with her husband again. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a ton of of humor. I think there was actually more in the first two seasons than there were in this. And maybe it was because it was for TV, so he had to soften the message of of all of the dark. You know, incest is not an easy subject to discuss, especially on ABC. So maybe that's why he used humor more in the first two seasons than I felt like he did in this. I don't know because you can kind of see this uh, this wave uh, if when you look at the entirety of I, I hate calling it season one and season two because seven episodes is it's yeah. it's not a season it's the prequel to the bigger thing yeah. but um, I don't know because it, it seems like towards the end of season two like he was definitely letting go of a lot of the humor and diving into the darker mm-hmm. point because i mean you were trying to raise the stakes as a greater story obviously yeah. you got the great villain when merle come again causing all sorts of chaos and ruckus but what i think we got in the return is a, a lot of intentionally wacky type of humor and a, a whole lot of really really subtle humor mm-hmm. like and I'll, I'll i'll use audrey as a prime example her story is tragic but the way that it's displayed in her own struggle is absolutely hilarious and awkward as hell yeah and by the way like charlie like his deadpan response to everything cracked me up he just didn't care <laughs> i'm gonna call him and find out the information, and I'm not going to tell you. Right. Just to watch you spiral out of control. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was really good at... Mm, mm, mm. Charlie. All, oh, he, had, was so all he had to do was just not say anything, and everything would go bad. <laughs> was so vicious with him. Yeah. Uh, there was another, um, humor-wise... Sorry, I lost the thought. This is why I have notes. Um, but uh, there was another humor. I'll think of it. Uh, but yeah, it is. I, I felt like it was more in the first two um, than than it was in this one, and I, I don't know. I, I I like what you just said; it makes sense. Um, but this one just felt like there was a lot more dark stuff in this because he could, like, he had the freedom to do whatever he wanted yeah. to do yeah. with this, um, and that was why I was super super excited, and I still am. Every time I watch it, um, he just he he is such a groundbreaking thinker director creator that uh again that's that's why it's kept my attention all of these times that i've watched it Uh, and it is i think it is because you have this balance um of weird stuff like the the norma and ed thing and the you know norma dating this jackass who's trying to take her business and expand it and then you have shelly's child and the boogery asshole that she's married to speaking of boogers let's backtrack for one second and talk about bill hastings brilliant sobbing scenes and that unrelenting glob of (laughs) snot that just would not let go (laughs) but you know he's like man conjure go sniff some flowers like you have allergies go out in the field this is this this has to be on um on matthew lillard's like acting resume because once you see slc punk he does the exact same thing and oh yeah total control of the snot flow that is bubbling from one nostril He's real good at controlling that shit. Like, he makes sure it doesn't drip all the way down. If it's too much, he knows how to bring it back in. It's so gross, but you can still see that it's there. 
So, all right, all right, yeah. I would not have thought about that as because it was disgusting me. Like, you're just screaming at the TV, please wipe it, wipe it, wipe it, wipe it. <laughs> then you got the digger, the digger in the jail cell with the guy with the, the wound, and he keeps picking at it, and he's dribbling blood. What the fuck up? He just repeats what everybody says. I repeat whatever I I think they call him the drunk. I think yeah, you're drunk. Name in the credits. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh really? Is that, he's just the, the drunk. drunk. Yeah, okay. I think that was his name in the credits. Um, I wish, I wish there would have been oh. a little bit more backstory to that yeah. character because that was one of those. It's just like, like the drunk repeating jackass. That part I get. What's with the hole in your face, buddy? He's I wanted an answer that. for that. I well, really he gets did. Irritated in that scene, that like the last scene of, of the jail cell before he brings everybody up. And Andy comes in and says, because this is when, you know, we got the good, the right coop, the bad coop, the, all that whole scene. And he goes into the, to the cells to get everybody out. And he just brings up Lucy and, um, oh, I always forget her name, Diane's Tulpa, yeah. who has no eyes. Uh, and he leaves the digger in there. Uh, but digger is going, to, as soon as Agent, or Mr. C comes close. He's just going to he's town. He's going to town on his face. Yeah. So I wonder if he, maybe they just didn't give us a lot of storyline, but he could have been one of Mr. C's. Influenced minions, people, yeah, minions or or something on that payroll. Hmm. Somehow, I don't. Man, that, that list gets longer and longer every time I go back and watch it. Like mm. Mr. C is pulling a lot of strings from a lot of different places, and b- because Lynch is so gifted at being ambiguous and not like giving you direct answers, it takes. This is why we go back and we keep obsessing over this series. Is he gives you all of the pieces to figure the shit out, but yeah. he will never f- flat out tell you what it is. Right. It's like, it's a puzzle. Have fun with it. Figure it out. Yeah, I'm going to throw it on the floor. And just when you get close to something, I'm going to go boop, 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 and move, move your pieces. In fact, on the inside jacket of Mulholland Drive, um, there is even a statement from Lynch. And he gives you a list of 12 clues. And he says, if you want to figure this movie out, these are the clues that you need. And that's all I'm going to give you. And he also set it up that you cannot do chapter marks on Mulholland Drive. You can't skip. Because oh. his, his response was, this is meant to be viewed in one sitting. Yeah. I'm not going to give you the chance to screw that up. Hmm. I'm like, bold move, jackass, but still. Like, <laughs> See, I've only watched it on streaming. I've not watched it on a DVD. That's interesting. I will Director's I choice. will bring you the Blu-ray. It's mm. gorgeous. Oh my god. Yeah, like the remastering of it is amazing. Speaking of remastering, dear David Lynch, can we please get on a proper 4K remaster of all things Twin Peaks? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so let's talk about another theme. Sound. Yes, which uh, the, <gasps> this one, like we already, if you're a David Lynch fan, he loves playing with sound in general, but in Twin Peaks, it really comes into play on multiple ways. Like you'll notice certain sounds and tones and, and samples being used, especially when there's uh, interactions with things of potentially otherworldly beings or crossing over into dangerous places. Now, a lot of this is like, basic 101 filmmaking you use some sound effects to uh invoke an emotional response in the viewer um just like any suspense film would do but what lynch does is he actually plays around with sound experiments like using binaural beats and um sacred tones and frequencies because as we all know he's very much into uh Eastern Transcendental Meditation, that type of stuff. So you will hear a considerable amount of Tibetan singing bowls throughout the course of Twin Peaks. And they might be altered or switched around or or maybe manipulated a little bit, but you will hear that sound effect quite a bit, and especially when it comes into anything referring to the supernatural or paranormal in that show. Mm. I didn't realize that they were singing bowls. So he's taken that sound and he's done something. He's manipulated it. And sometimes he hasn't. Sometimes you will actually, if you listen to it, you'll hear like a uh, a dissonant synthesizer tone. Mm -hmm. But then back behind that, if you listen closely, you'll hear like one of those big, massive Tibetan singing bowls that have the with like the mm. lower bell tone to it. Well, you hear things differently. I mean, as a musician, you, you hear things yeah, yeah, yeah. much more um, distinctly than, than I do. I just, I go by what it makes me feel, which is itchy, uncomfortable, um, nauseous. And that's, it's amazing. I don't know any other, maybe some sci-fi movies um, where it, the, the sounds are, well, they're expected in sci-fi movies. 
But in this, like the sound of the electricity going down the power lines, the it it makes you disoriented. Yes. It, um, yeah. And and that's like uh, when I was saying using dissonant tones and binaural beats. Do you know what binaural beats are? Yeah, tell the audience. Okay, so binaural beats are where you have um, you, you need you need a, an appropriate stereo environment in order to do this. But you have um, one tone going on one side and another going on. So one tone on the right, one tone on the left. And if you toy with the frequencies enough, you're going to hit this level of dissonance. And dissonance is when you basically, if you take two notes and slowly pull them apart, it's going to go from ooh to ooh. You know, it's just going to get really shaky. But if you pull those tones apart enough, you will actually create a third tone that at least in your ability to hear sound is gonna seem like it's coming from directly in front of you even though all of the tones that you're hearing are coming only from the sides but it's the way that your brain perceives this dissonance that creates that third tone that mm -hmm. seems projected in front of you lynch uses this a lot not only in twin peaks but a, pretty much everything that he does hmm. yeah i didn't know what the term was yeah and yeah. if you if you mess with it like it can cause uh disorientation it can cause nausea as you mentioned yeah um so there like he really is playing some intense physiological and psychological uh manipulation with the sound design and everything that he does for sure like the scene that stands out to me is the <clears> one where uh, mr c is driving and it's that super percussive really loud drum beat Mm. Same drum beat when uh, when Diane's tulpa is walking down the hallway um, to do her uh, her thing with um, with Gordon, where she's going to confess what happened that last night with Cooper. But it's you know what I'm talking about. It's really percussive. It's just in the kind of a droning underneath it. It's that it's so the the percussion is what stands out there, but it's that ringing tone that's yeah. underneath that's what's actually affecting you it's turning me into a psychopath like i'm gonna go you know do yeah. crazy things because yeah it really like, yeah. and it he it's it, it's like, like mk ultra style it is yeah. it totally is like this it's like ah yeah you hit the nail on the head kind of makes me wonder if lynch was a victim like <laughs> Could very well Might be. explain a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is this his way of telling us this stuff is real? Well, that is an interesting thing, and we will get to that a little bit later in this conversation because okay. that goes into my theory on what season three is. So okay. we'll we'll chat about that here okay. in a few. Awesome. But yeah, so sound. I, 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 he's just he's a genius with it um, to make you feel. There are certain scenes that I will fast or mute. Or fast forward through because I get so uncomfortable with the sounds of it. Yep. Um, and that's a really great sign for him. Success as a director. Um, yeah, no, it's it's brilliant. And he's he's using all of uh, all of your senses to deliver what he's trying to express to you. Mm -hmm. And again, like this is Lynch. He's never going to spoon feed you. He's going to give you tidbits here. So if he can't explain it to you visually or through words he's going to plug the sound in that's going to make you feel, feel what it. you're supposed to be mm -hmm. experiencing in that moment and it's work damn i want to talk to this guy <laughs> multifaceted yeah it's yeah. like smell a vision that's next are we gonna smell bob we actually had a conversation about that on the main show like a, a few weeks ago and like i'm sorry we dodged a bullet with that one <laughs> Uh, because as much as I love Star Wars, I don't want to smell what was in that garbage chute. No. And I, oh, that's right, you did. I and I really, really would never watch anything like Leaving Las Vegas, because no. the last thing that you want to do is uh, smell somebody drinking them to de themselves to death. And, no. It makes yeah. me think of, like, what did the barf smell like in Mr. C's car? Oh, when the, God! When the officers passed out and oh, he started I was hoping you up. were not going to go uh -huh. there. But that, even oh. though we couldn't smell it, he got us with the visual, like that car wreck, and they actually that showed it in the extras. And seriously, really what, whatever mixture the fuck they used for I that, do that visual I put my is hands over my head, guys. Disgusting beyond words. I have the blanket pulled up. I won't. I won't watch that stuff come out because it's like a ten-minute vomit scene. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, "This, oh, oh, wow, that's, uh, uh, <clears throat> oh, wow, that's really, oh, god, okay." Still going on. Still happening. Yeah. My nose is still spewing. Like the Dougie vomit. Oh, Dougie vomit was, you know, eight seconds. Mr. C vomit 
was 10 minutes. I felt like it was 10 minutes. It went on for a very, very long time. <laughs> but that's another way. So we can't smell it. But again, that's another way that he is getting us. You almost did smell it. It's like when somebody tells you a good story um, or even listening to, to your podcast and really good podcasts, you start to form this picture and then, you know, five years down the line, you can, if it's really good storytelling, you can feel like you were there. Even though you never saw anything, your mind is painting this picture. So I think he is getting us on all of our um, senses. Very much so. Yeah. It's even as good as Jerry describing this beautiful baguette with this amazing cheese and the butter. You <laughs> see, no, he knows exactly what he's doing. He may, if you felt high just listening to Jerry. Seriously, like yeah, yeah like I want to be with you, man. <laughs> I'm not your foot. <laughs> not your foot. Yeah, I want to be where you are. But yeah, no, it's um, yeah, he yeah, he's a, he's a master at, at using all of your senses, and specifically with that coop scene when he's like losing his Garmin Bosia, as it were. Um, during that whole scene, you can hear that electrical hum. Yes. In in the background, and it's not a comforting hum. It's disorienting, and it's it hits like a, a frequency that is unsettling. Yeah. If you're listen, if you like, if you're watching that scene on a system that has bass to it, it will make you feel sick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you want to be with him. It's like, let's bring you into this moment. You're also. I think that's a great time to turn off the subwoofer. Up. Personally, yeah, I know. I can't. <laughs> well, and I have dogs too. So whenever I watch something that's really loud, they're always, you know, freaking out about it. So luckily, I know what's coming, so I can mute or turn the volume down. Take a quick break. Awesome. Oh, we don't have the shaker. Shake, 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 shake. Shake your booty. I'd like to thank my sister from another Mr. Beth for joining me once again to drive ourselves utterly insane over this enigmatic series. And uh, special thanks to David Lynch for a never-ending supply of nightmare fuel and anxiety. The recording of this conversation actually resulted in two episodes, the other which is streaming on our Patreon right now. It will be added to the main feed in time, but not quite yet, so if you want to get ahead, head on over to Patreon and support us. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, everywhere as XVPlanus, and you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes. If you like what we do here, please head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and review us, and tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people on the subway about us. We are an independent production, and currently we will only be able to grow through positive reviews and by word of mouth from you, dear listeners. You can also support us by going to www.patreon.com xvplanus and subscribing to gain access to our exclusive content. Speaking of which, a huge shout out to our most recent subscribers, Emily Fagan, and if I said that wrong, please correct me later, you know where to find me, Walker Roberts and Sonny Sulak. Thank you all so much, and whether you're pledging a dollar or five, every bit helps. Be sure to check out all of the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, like Grognostics, Administrism, Smuts Up, and so many more. You can check them out by going to www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. The show is produced in Durham, North Carolina, and is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent from me. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I'm your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planets. Thank you so much for being a part of the journey so far. And I'll see you in the between. In Abambratio, in Fluctus, Subvalent.